Welcome to Counterpressed on The Ringer and Spotify. I'm in the studio with Jesse Parker Humphreys and Becky Taylor-Gill. Guys, it's Thursday show and I'm in my 30s now. Boo. Boo. Could not be me Boo. or me. <laughs> Under 30 gang. We're so young um, and fresh. Got a whole new perspective on the podcast, you know. So you have a three there. Oh, do you feel different? No, not at all. <laughs> but it is weird. I do think if someone asks you and says, how old you are? And then you suddenly have a three there. It does feel, that is the beard. I'll be like, oh God. Is this 30. like when Becky forgot that's she was 28? I was just going to say, yeah, that's what just came to her. mind. You know, sometimes you're like... Oh, how old am I? Yeah. I had that in Australia where Jesse had to be like, you're 28. And I was like, no, no. I don't think I am. <laughs> but didn't on one of... I was like, we're literally the same age. Wasn't one of your birthdays after COVID, you had the different candles because you were like, that birthday didn't happen. Well, you did like reverse I birthday that, I think it's that my housemates did not buy correct candles <laughs> okay. and they just had the candles from oh. before. So it was my 27th birthday, but I had 24 on the cake. 24? I, I thought you had 26. <laughs> no, I had 24. Oh, I thought you deliberately saying that that COVID year didn't count. As well, it was like those like few years, whatever. <laughs> yeah. No, it was just my housemates not being very organised. What did you get up to then? So I had the most like... Oh, wait. Yes, we've got to address this. (laughs) Flo started her birthday off, her 30th birthday off, by going to the dentist. I know, but that, I just, it's weird because <laughs> I, sorry, I'm speechless, which is not good for a podcast. I, I gave her a dirty look, don't you worry. Um, so I've never taken my birthday as like a holiday day just because I like, I quite enjoy. You're self-employed. Why would you go to the dentist on your birthday? I just find like, even when I was in full-time employment, like I was just like, a birthday is like another day of work. And I also sometimes feel like if no one else has got the day off, like who would I even hang out with anyway? We're can't self-employed. <laughs> Christmas birthday can't relate. Always. Yeah, see, I, my I think Christmas birthdays around. are quite good. So because of that, I went to the dentist last week for a checkup, and then I was booking a hygienist, and she said, "Oh, we've sorry, got... it wasn't even a norm. It, you went to the hygienist, and then which she is said like a horrible experience. And then she said, "Oh, we've got. Well, it wasn't as bad because I only did the half an hour slot, not the hour slot. Just you know, <laughs> in case anyone was wondering where the half an hour." You if anyone's brutal. trying to put a blow by blow account of Flo's birthday together, she only was at the hygienist for half an hour. Anyway, you are but, unhinged. But anyway, so the, when I was booking it, the woman said, oh, we've got blah, 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 and the 18th of October. And I thought, I said to her, it is my birthday, but I guess I'll book that one. Anyway, the woman was really nice. She really liked my perfume. I said, it's from M&S. You can get it. She said, oh, I might go later because I'm taking a return back. Then from there, I had to go and collect my car. That was not going to be on my birthday because it failed its MO2 and I had to pay to fix it. It ended up being my birthday. That was meant to be a Monday problem. It ended up being a Wednesday problem. Then um, I went and had a fry up with my mum. So the day went up. Okay. And then I had like one work phone call and some more admin bits. So I didn't tire myself out. I had a good blend of like, and then I went out to dinner with my family. So we finished on a high note. I just can't get past the dentist. But the real birthday event is Friday karaoke. So like midweek birthdays, I think are hard because you always sort of plan in line for the party. Fine, fine. I will (laughs) give you that. But there is just no world in which I'm seeing a dentist appointment on my birthday and being like, <laughs> yeah, sure, why not? No. Okay. But no. I will say, I my teeth felt great. That's true. I mean, there's something to be said for starting for... a new decade yeah. with nice teeth. No, totally. My teeth felt fabulous. I felt great. Like a new woman. I'm happy for you. You do what makes you feel good on your birthday flow. And you guys know me. You know I love a bit of life admin. I yeah. love a bit of DIY. Yeah. So actually, I'm, I'm speaking to what I need. I need <laughs> I went to the dump. On Tuesday, Flo, and when I was going in, because at Worthing Dump, you have to like book a slot. I don't know. Oh, if I love dumps in, like that, though, because it just staggers things. It's organised. Yeah, you need but that. as I was going in, the man went, enjoy yourself. And I literally thought, like, that is a guy after Flo Lloyd Jesus. <laughs> that I, could be Flo's soulmate. I actually went to the dump on Saturday, just gone. <laughs> Imagine going on your birthday. <laughs> I, have I ever done that? Maybe not. Uh, Next but year. one of my flatmates is moving out, so I took her to the dump, a new dump in Kentish Town. Oh, the staff was so nice. <laughs> we didn't know because we'd never been there before. Didn't know where everything went. Mm. They were like, "Oh, don't worry, it's over here." And some dumps they won't help you with stuff. But a guy was moving a sofa, and he was like, obviously needed help. And they came over and helped move the sofa. Oh, but yeah. I've been to they're dumps lovely. before. They're lovely at work. Where dump they as like well. refuse because it's like an insurance. So you're like, I don't really. I think you just don't want to do it. So um, yeah, I love a dump. So it's so like cathartic. This is and the thirties chat. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, I bet you would love a dump. I bet you honestly. I personally hate going to the dump. It's just really fun. Don't, like, I don't ever have need. I find the reverse parallel parking at the dump 
stressful. That's why I don't like mm. it. Ah, I can't do anything about that. Sorry. <laughs> um, anyway, we obviously have a lot to get through on today's show, which is why we're talking about the dump and my On birthday. today's show, top 10 dumps of the UK. But you which know, which teams in the WSL would you dump? <laughs> Um, but you know, people know I like service station chat. So please hit us with your favourite dumps in the UK and why you like them so much. But yes, on today's show, we've obviously got to reflect on Manchester United dropping out of the Champions League at the hands of PSG. You really should have said being dumped out of the Champions League. It was there. Shit. It was on a site for you. You idiot. Shit. I love that we thought that. I was literally like, will she say it? Will she say it? Guys, oh my God, I've really let myself down there. And Leave. <laughs> we've also got to give some love to Paris because they are now the people's champions of the Champions League, whatever happens from here on in. Defeated Wolfsburg through to the group stages. And we've also got a little bit to talk about on the New England squad that's just come out for these upcoming Nations League games. Tons of listener questions about the Champions League and England squad to get through. So no more dump chat for now. Let's get into it after this. Well, a dramatic night in the Women's Champions League on my birthday as well. I just love that they brought the drama to celebrate my birthday. We have a lot to talk about because there were some interesting Mark Skinner post-match thoughts that really got the timeline buzzing. I think probably about 20% of the listener questions are just about those comments. So don't worry, guys. We will be talking about it. But let's first start with... What, where this leaves United, I think, this result, because across the two legs, PSG were the better team by far, I think. I think their front line really came into its own. I think Manchester United had their moments, but defensively, they looked pretty shaky. Um, but I think there is a disappointment and a bit of frustration and probably shock for some United fans, but maybe not as much so after the first leg. But now they've kind of got to look at this season and think, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves, a lot of expectation to get into the group stages and we've been knocked out at qualifiers. I have to go all out for the Conti Cup now, guys. <laughs> uh, another group stage they've previously struggled to get out from. I do think, obviously, the funniest version of events will be, and this might cause Twitter to explode, but when Chelsea return to the Conti Cup with the bye to the quarterfinals and then inevitably draw Man United and lose. I feel like that could be very enjoyable. Um, I think ultimately there's probably not that big a gap between Man United and PSG. And Skinner's comments, I feel like, are very hard to separate from the situation because I'm like, yeah, it's annoying to play PSG, but there's a reason you had to play PSG that relates to where you finished in the league and your history as a football club. Um, but Last night, I think, ultimately, I think I said after the first leg, going to Paris and having to get the win always felt like it was going to be something that was quite tough. And I think also you saw from United a level of naivety that is probably understandable given that they haven't played in European competition before. And I think fans of City, fans of Arsenal, fans of Chelsea will all have had that experience of feeling like their team wasn't quite up to speed with what European competition looks like. And I think United had that experience last night. And I think that's a little bit the teething problems you have to go through when you're reaching that level for the first time, which is what United were doing by qualifying for the qualifying stages of the Champions League. It felt like there was, you know, you mentioned naivety, but also felt like there was arrogance in it as well as what Skinner's comments for me were giving was arrogance, not just about maybe Manchester United, but around the WSL as a whole. Like he referenced that if any of the top four from last season's WSL, you know, any of them could hold their own and match anyone in Europe. Well, he lost to PSG. So that's not matching anyone in Europe. That's losing to a good European side and drawing in the first leg. A so team that aren't even, you know, haven't made a final in years and if you can't even match that you're not going to go deep in that competition there was an assumption that Manchester United should be guaranteed a place in the group stage just because the WSL is in his words a stronger league and I think we all can sort of agree that the WSL is very competitive and a strong league but that doesn't mean that it's automatically 
better than say where someone in second finishing in another league or like they, they, well also UEFA have a system for this they have a set of league coefficients based on how well your teams do in Europe and ultimately English teams have not historically done that well in Europe one English team in the past like what 15 years at this point has made a Champions League final like in recent years, teams have been knocked out of the group stages. Teams have gone out and got, you know, one or two English teams has gone out and qualifying ever since that brought in. We've never had three English teams make it to the group stage. I agree that Manchester United are probably as good as some of the teams in the group stage. They're probably better than some of the teams in the group stage, although I do think people are potentially naive to the ability of teams like Ajax, of teams like Benfica, when they kind of sort of blithely say United could do really well in the group stage. Again, Chelsea went into a group stage two years ago and got knocked out in a group with Wolfsburg and Juventus at a time when they're clearly the strongest team in England. You're creating a narrative which has no basis on reality because we don't actually know how United compare to some of those teams. Maybe if they played Valarenga, they would have won. Maybe, but we don't know. We've never seen them play any European teams in competitive fixtures other than the one they played in because they've never qualified for the Champions League. So I feel like that's what's so ridiculous about this notion. It's all based around their men's team. Like there is no other reason for that entitlement because your team is five years old. If it wasn't Man United and if it was a, a random team that wasn't connected to a Premier League team that had just come up through the WSL finished third or even like a villa you would think okay getting to the group stage is like a really big achievement they're five years old there's no other reason that you would think that they deserve in quotes I'm doing quite air quotes <laughs> to be there I think that definitely creeps into it I think it's that that Manchester United brand and the the status of the WSL which we all know you know, at times is is warranted, but has a massive superiority complex to it around being the best league in the world, et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes it warrants that label and a lot of times it doesn't. And there is this kind of sense of identity that because there's such a great title race and a fight for those top three Champions League places, but it doesn't just mean because that's really competitive, therefore the entire league is better than Europe. And I think when you take those things out of the situation and look at the reality of it, is that like the whole point that they may turn the Champions League into a group stage was to create an ultra-competitive four group 16 teams that all of them could nick points of each other. And as the as the competitions progress and ever since they brought those group stations, we've seen that. We've seen Benfica get points against some of Europe's best. And we've seen other nations, you know, think about the growth of Roma in recent seasons. Like, that's the point. It's about increasing that growth and building that competitiveness and you have to earn that right. Well, I think that's actually the thing that maybe winds me up about it is that... Can you tell the listeners how wound up <laughs> you were about it? I was it? literally so annoyed by these comments. I basically couldn't sleep last night because I was lying in bed getting more wound up by it. But I think there's a real naivety to the speed of growth of women's football in other countries outside of Germany, France, Spain and England even. And as I say, maybe United are better than some of those teams. Maybe they're worse. We literally don't know. But Benfica is an amazing example of a team who I think have clearly really benefited from participating in Champions League group stages, are clearly a really, really good team. And they have a easier path because there's so many champions that go through or like the, the spots go to teams in the champions path. But... I feel like there's a bit of a like, mo not moral, but like maybe like philosophical question about what do you want from the Champions League? And I think we're so inured to the men's Champions League, whereby the biggest leagues are hugely weighted in terms of the number of the spots they get in the group stage. And almost certainly the women's Champions League will go that way. Like I have no doubt that it will go that way. But given the way we've seen teams from, in inverted commas, smaller leagues perform, I feel like there's also an opportunity to argue here, like maybe it's more exciting to have a competition that actually represents like all of European football. Maybe it's better for European and women's football if teams from smaller leagues find it easier to make the group stage. Maybe that grows women's football as a whole. And that's more important than having, you know, because this year it's only there's only one team from England, but I'm sure next year it could go the other way for like 
other countries. I don't necessarily think this is a specifically English problem. You know, for example, clearly Arsenal probably were very unlucky in terms of the fact they played Paris. Do I think they should have still won? Yes. But clearly Paris are a much better team than people expected. Team Paris, baby! They knocked out two of last year's semi-finalists. What those bad bugs got in that venom? <laughs> yeah, PSG yeah, and Paris, Paris is doing baby. something. Wow. Uh, but I think it's the same conundrum that, you know, UEFA have tried to solve with the Nations League, which only just started. And we all love to hit international football federations on the head. But UEFA have done some kind of smart things when it comes to Champions League and hopefully with the Women's Nations League and the Nations League and the Men's Game to try and bring up the standard across the board. And as much as we were bemoaning those huge scorelines in the Women's Game for qualifiers, they looked at that in the Champions League and they came up with a pretty good solution. And you obviously saw some of those big scorelines in some of these qualifiers, but across the board, the group stages is such a tight, impressive competition. Now, I think the better question might be to ask is, when is women's football going to be ready for a Europa-style second tier? And a lot of people have asked us about it on Twitter. I had a few people chat about it in the week as well. I think the new Champions League is still in its early days. And for me, I think a second tier, it's not ready for that yet because we're barely getting enough broadcast media coverage of the entire Women's Champions League, let alone creating a Europa League, which I just don't think people would be able to watch realistically, apart from games that involved wealthier, bigger teams like Manchester United or Arsenal if they dropped into it. But I think it's a conversation that they probably should have. But I think the more logical option for me would be they're going to make the Champions League bigger fairly soon, you would imagine, because there is appetite and demand. And because women's clubs and and men's clubs are getting more ambitious and supporting and putting resources into their women's teams, therefore, you know, that's almost the issue we see right now is like so many people want to get in. So I think they'll expand that to more groups. And then you'll think, okay, how can we get a Europa? But the ecosystem is not ready for a Europa. Like the zone can only afford to have punditry teams at basically like the semi-finals onwards. We, we're not going to be having a really proper Europa like UEFA men's competitions have. Like the, the game, it's like it's the chicken or the egg though. Yeah, I just think in women's football, it seems like there are more logical steps to take and expanding the Champions League and the top tier first and then looking at in creating that second tier. But I mean, it's the same conversation we have with like expanding the WSL and the championship. It's like, how many championship teams are ready to survive? Well, Bristol City look like they're struggling right now. What, where, what do you do with that promotion and relegation? But the appetite's certainly there. And I, I just think whether the game was survived by creating that. Like the travel as well, that's so expensive for some of these teams. Like I know our friends, uh, one and two, uh, <laughs> Zitlerbud one and Zitlerbud two. one and two. Zitlerbud Kharkiv. Zitlerbud Kharkiv one and two. Our icons. Our icons and legends of the women's game. <laughs> I want to see them in more competitions. More Champions League history and than Manchester why, United. That's why I'm like, they need a Europa to fight for because with the new competition, their hopes to get into the group stage is is becoming like impossible. But those guys, it's like, they are kind of European women's football heritage, <laughs> but now we don't get them beyond like, August or September. So I just think a second European competition could be a kind of like European Conti Cup. Like it's a bit silly. Do you like create sillier rules, change, sillier the, change rules, the format? Yeah. Um, and just see what happens. Could they do it almost like the early rounds of the Women's Champions League where the second tier is like tournament based? So you keep the costs low, you have it in like a few host places, yeah. regionalise it, then it's cheaper to also produce. People could watch it and it takes less time, but it's like something to fight for. Like a bit of like a NWSL tournament challenge cup. Yeah. Or they go back to the old Champions League format, which was just like straight knockouts. Yeah, I yeah. think that if they were going to do it, that's what you'd want to do. You'd yeah. do and you'd yeah, take you'd like not... 32 teams yeah. or 16 teams. And or no, yeah, like no groups. Cause... But I, I do think the, the first step is probably to expand yeah. the Champions League. And we can't, we can't be far off that. I know, I think Nadine Kessler's been asked about it. Nadine Tickets. I, <laughs> I think Nadine Kessler has been asked about it, but I can't remember what the latest is. And they're also so focused on the Nations League. It's like, right, one thing at a time. I think we've got one more year. I think it ends in 24, 25, right? When they rewrite the 
they put the rules for a certain period yes, of they time. Normally and do I it think for, it's the end of next season. They when normally they will do change. it for like when that media cycle is. Yeah. And obviously we've got the men's one changing a lot from next season. And England are gonna have five automatic qualifications, aren't they? So Champions League as a whole across the game is just like constantly changing. What right? are they smoking over there? Are you <laughs> <laughs> Crazy guys. Um but more sort of right now when it comes to Manchester United that we had a few questions and there were obviously some kind of like more pressing issues I think we've also got to talk about from this game. A few people have asked about Jay-Z and her influence in the game yesterday, but also some of the frustrations that we've seen from her this season for Manchester United, which I really, really like watching her in games, but I got absolutely cooked and then uh, forced to, not forced to delete, but I got cooked into deleting. <laughs> cancelled. My, like, my, some of my faves came for me over my Jay-Z praise. Mm. So like, you know, that's when, when the circlets and you, and start you, swinging. And you deleted it. You backed down. Wow. Um, Coward. But, <laughs> but I really liked what Jay-Z was doing in the Arsenal game and I got cooked for it. But I think that performance... Don't and, let them dim your flame. Fly. I know, I know. It's just, you know, <laughs> you like her, you like her. Yeah, you thought she was true. doing good stuff. I'm with you. I like her. But I think what that game sort of showed and what is represented across her time with Manchester United so far is like she works so hard she's really kind of forward thinking and progressive and aggressive in how she plays and wants to make shit happen but the decision making that final ball that final bit of quality it feels like that's what she's really lacking and maybe struggling with and Jesse, do you think it's the kind of thing that will come? The, the more she plays, the more goals she scores, she'll get more comfortable? Or is that actually something that speaks to wider issues in Jay-Z's game as a whole? I think something that's easy to forget because Jay-Z came from Barcelona is like the amount of time that she spent in like really, really elite sporting setups. And that's not to sort of shade Madrid CFF and Benfica where she sort of spent time in the past. And she scored... a massive amount of goals for both those clubs but I think the demands of playing in a potentially more advanced tactical setup with with things that we saw at Barcelona look if she was really really amazing Barcelona wouldn't have sold her like that's the kind of basic reality of it but in my opinion she is clearly very talented and I thought for large portions of last night she looked electric and I I felt like that in almost every game she's Sorry, played that, for United that just reminded me of that meme of that boy outside Sabra Bridge the atmosphere was electric <laughs> that was me watching yeah, Jersey last you night you and your glasses is giving that boy <laughs> but yeah I don't think she makes great decisions in the final third and I do think that's something that's coachable and I think that's something that's going to be really interesting it's going to be a challenge for Skinner that's you know becomes extra challenging potentially this yeah, now you've got players who maybe expect Champions League football and won't get it. I've not always like felt super convinced at his ability to work with with individuals. I think he had a lot of sort of like plug and play talent in that United team last year with players like Rousseau and Batia. But to me, even if she makes the wrong decisions in the penalty area, as a chaos agent within that United team, she still offers so much and Ultimately, last night, she was the player that you felt like was going to do something. Mm. And she's played four games for the club. I think there are plenty of other players you can look at within the United setup at the moment who probably needed to step up last night. And I'm not sure JC is one of them. I also think when you look on paper at that front line that Manchester United have this season of Galton, JC, and Mallard, that's a pretty good front line and already a few players who've shown obviously Galton and her vast experience in the WSL now and is such a reliable player for United. But I already think Mallard and Jay-Z have made an impact so far this season in games, even though United, you know, haven't necessarily got the results they would have wanted. Someone else has also asked about United's stodgy midfield. What do you think about that, Jesse? I know like Ella Toon has struggled a little bit this season. She was trying to create stuff and make stuff happen last night. Do you think they, like Skinner's made a lot of changes so far this season in that midfield, whether it's like dropping Lad out, dropping Toon out, like and mixing things up. But do you think they've got a bit of an issue in that area of the park? I think obviously Ella Toon clearly isn't at her best. She probably should have <coughs> scored that opportunity when they were sort of two on two and she just got the shot totally wrong. But that being said, she did have like a really nice little 
sort of overhead kick thing that hit the post. Which if that goes in, you're saying like, oh, wow, Ella Toon, like she can still score those goals. A bit like we did with England, where she kind of looked dire for lots of the World Cup, but she hits that shot against Australia so sweetly. I think it would be interesting to see more of Miyazawa alongside Zellum and how that potentially might open stuff up for Toon. But I also think there would be value in like giving her more rest um, I think she's played a lot of football and I think you can tell that she looks frustrated on the pitch. You can tell that she knows it's not quite working for her um, at the moment. United definitely have options, but they've always had options in that midfield and it's just how much they use them. I mean, Narsalan's goal last night is a great example of like what you want from your midfielders, right? She finds herself in the perfect spot and she takes that opportunity really, really well. We should say like it is the Leah Goldson goal that was disallowed made no sense and yes. it could have been different after that and like that, I get that that's really frustrating and, and that's why I come back to like what I said at the start I don't think United and PSG are that different when it comes to quality even though I do think PSG's front three destroyed United's defence I think overall if you play these games like again and again and again you know United will probably win some at some point as well but that's why I feel like ultimately sort of PSG's experience in those moments showed more because yes it was frustrating that Golton's goal got disallowed but that felt like a moment where then United were like whatever oh, everything's gone against us yeah. same when they, they equalise and then they immediately concede it's it's those little moments of like concentration and finding that extra something you know like even for example <laughs> Arsenal even though they eventually lost on penalties, like they were 2 0 down in two minutes, but there was still this sense that they could find something else because they'd been in situations like that and they'd come back before. And I think it's almost that that was really missing for United last night. Can we talk about Sandy Baltimore's goal? I literally looked away in between it coming off her foot and it going in <laughs> because I saw it come off her foot and thought that's going over the bar. Yeah. I didn't because I was watching with the United comms, didn't realise it had gone in because obviously the United comms was like, and that's a goal. And I was like, what? hold on a second. That's a goal? And I had to watch it again because I was like, how on earth have you scored from that angle? I mean, it was also probably bad goalkeeping. But. I mean, it's also terrible defending. Like, if yeah. you're just going to. But let, it's the same. But it was the same with Chewinga. They just like repeatedly let Baltimore and Chewinga run riot down both of those wings. And yeah, you kind of like open yourself up. Yeah, it's a ridiculous goal from a really tight angle maybe Earps should actually move. Um, <laughs> I th- it's almost like she thought it was going over. So, yeah, and yeah. ultimately, we're allowed to think it goes over because we're not goalkeepers for Manchester <laughs> yeah. United. Um, and it comes into that sort of narrative around Earps constantly getting beaten over her head and, you know, I think the allegations are getting hard <laughs> to defend. across the course of the game, if you're going to let players of that quality find their way into those positions... Think about that. Moments like that are going to It doesn't even have to be that specific one. It could be the cutback that Trawinga makes for Lika Martins' second goal. The early chance in the first 10 minutes of the games where Erps gets like embarrassed and gets yeah. miss-kick. It was like the D'Angelo mm, um, yeah. at, at um, All of LSV. PSG's goals came from Trawinga or Martins getting towards the byline, whether to be able to take a shot or to do the cutback. The fullback area looks like it's going to be an issue from United all season. Obviously, Gabby George, unfortunately, now confirmed... She's going to be out for a long time with an ACL injury. Jade Riviera did play yesterday, so was fit enough, but she just looks like she's struggling to feel comfortable in this team. And they're being targeted and they're getting beat a lot in games from those positions. On Jade Riviera as well, I think what's really interesting is it's, again, a really obvious on a Batia problem because I think Riviera has looked really good on the ball and going forward. And I think she will be a great progressive outlet for United. But I think Honor did that and then was like an elite defender. And that's the difference. And that's why it's so hard. That's why it was always going to be so hard to replace her because you were kind of replacing two fullback profiles in one, someone who could be like an incredible 1v1 defender and a great progressive outlet. And now it feels like they've got a great progressive outlet, but they're still missing the really good defender. United now have to play Everton, who got their 
first win of the season I against Liverpool. I cannot believe that I am here after two Liverpool wins and now you're bringing up Everton to me after I haven't been able to be smug about <laughs> Liverpool's no, start of the be, season. No, you could be smug. I think we, we actually meant to mention it on Monday but we ro- completely ran out of time. We Disgusting. Didn't, we didn't even talk about Chelsea either but okay, fine. we wanted to <laughs> also, talk... Also, we'd have been talking about Liverpool losing so yeah, you should be true. But we that. were talking about the fact that Anfield has not been a massively happy place oh. for Liverpool but United now have to bounce back quite quickly and try and not drop points yet again against an Everton side this weekend who are feeling pretty good at home as well. Obviously, Everton haven't been great this season, but like that's a hard one to now, you know. That come will back make from. me feel better about losing the derby if it gives Everton the <laughs> kick up the arse. Yeah, the kick up the arse to go and beat United. That will make me feel happy. Yeah, very true. This question I think is for you, Becky. Oh. Uh, Katie Mishner has asked, how should we all celebrate? when Paris FC win the oh, Champions wow. League. Oh, wee, wee, ooh la la. <laughs> um, I'll make an itinerary, guys, of all the things that we could oh, do. Oh, we're going to go yeah. for a big night out in Paris. Yeah, we. Exactly. Us and the bed bugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll be, that'll be great. I will not be going for, to Paris if Chelsea draw PSG or Paris FC in the group stage because, well, one, it's really expensive and, two, there are bed bugs. It is expensive. I have a, a trip. I have a Eurostar that I need to change. And I am a bit scared. I'm going to Paris in December for my friend's 30th okay. and I'm really worried about it. Will you report l- back? Will you do like a put all your clothes in the freezer when you get back so then I don't have to get bed bugs from you? I put it in the group chat for this birthday weekend and everyone I think is just hoping that because it's in December it'll be sorted out by then. But I'm quite worried about it. If they haven't come here yet, then like surely maybe they're getting it kind of under control. Anyway, we won't think about the bedbugs until <laughs> Paris FC win the Champions League because that's not till June. That's also, not till June. That's it's not in Paris. So well, no, but we're gonna no, we'll go we to celebrate. Bilbao, okay, we'll go to we'll Bilbao go and then to... we'll go to Paris yeah, for the obviously. party. We have to give some love to Paris. We've already given them a little love, but we have to give more love to them for what they've done in the Champions League already. We haven't even got to the group stages. I cried on the bus on the way here watching the highlights wow. of them winning because it was just so sweet, so wholesome. It is incredible that they managed to knock out do the four semi-finalists from last season, the finalists from last season. Listen, I was always saying Chelsea-Barcelona was the better semi-final last season. (laughs) But I think the game against Wolfsburg really does speak to how chaotic and how bad that Wolfsburg defence is. The amount of goals that they conceded last season in the Champions League, like the fact that they, in both the Arsenal game and the final, like basically just self-inflicted stuff. And they were so bad last night against Paris like barely created anything as well which is normally like the one thing you can kind of rely on is like they might concede a lot but hopefully they'll get some goals what is going on there? What's been going on in the Fran Bundesliga as well? Because I know Munich have already dropped points, but like, why are Wolfsburg so all over the place? Well, they're finding that they've probably already won the Fran Bundesliga. So <laughs> there's nothing to play for. <laughs> I mean, given that Bayern have drawn twice, they've just got to worry about the mighty Hoffenheim, who <laughs> have drawn once, but only two points behind. I mean, look, I feel like I've made my feelings about Tommy Stroot and his ability <laughs> True. as a manager we on did this that podcast a lot quite last clear. Season, yeah. Um, but I also think it's been just generally a bit of a recruitment issue from Wolfsburg. I feel like they've in the past prioritised signing attacking players maybe because the feeling is like Oberdorf is some perfect defensive midfielder who will always bail them out. But yeah, the defence has looked incredibly ropey for a while now. And I think what was... <laughs> Almost the most surprising, maybe about the second look, that was that Paris were going away to Wolfsburg, but it just felt like they were always on top. And I mean, when Wolfsburg got the penalty, I did think, oh no, like this is the point where it all turns around. But it was a great save. And Paris, I think, really like deserves to go through. They did just look much better than Wolfsburg. And I think they sort of benefited at, at different points from like, I think in the first leg, they looked ropey and Wolfsburg should probably have capitalised on some of their defensive errors then, but they didn't. They didn't not make enough defensive errors themselves to make the most of how Paris played. And then in this game, it just felt like they had nothing. And I think it's just a very strange setup. this sort of combination of Latvine and Oberdorf feels like 
it, it was just weird how isolated players like Pyor and Pop felt, and like it was like they were they were needing to play this like weird counter attacking game, and then this insistence on playing Svenja Hoot when you've got Eula Brand on the bench, like. I personally just don't understand why this Wolfsburg team continues to set up this way when it like repeatedly has not worked. And I think it will be interesting to see obviously how stuff plays out in Germany because I'm sure Bayern might already feel like, okay, they'll go all in and focus on the Champions League. It's obviously a long season ahead, but I mean, to have drawn twice in your opening four games is is tough. And I guess we'll have to see how quickly Bayern sort themselves out. But... Yeah. Well, there's just chaos all over the leagues, isn't there? Like, what's going on? What is going on? But also, can I just say, the enjoyment I've taken from these qualifiers, I think, is also why I now feel so anti it changing. And again, <laughs> I know it will change and I know it probably should change. But it is delightful to have all this fun at the mm. start of the season from an honest Chelsea fan who did not have to go through it. <laughs> yeah, sure. No bias there. But maybe this finally will be the downfall of Stroop because not making the group stages is pretty unforgivable, to be honest. Also, I want to shout out, Gaetana Tini in the Paris front line, 37 years old. Wow. Oh, she Killing has done it. it all. She has been there, done that. I'm obsessed with that front line. Now you've got, you've got someone in the 30s to look up to. <laughs> <laughs> my hero, my new icon. A uh, really fun question from Neil that I want to do before we kind of move on to some England stuff. We've obviously got the draw now for the group stages on Friday at 12 UK time. But he has asked, can we come up with the most chaotic group possible out of those pots? You could do chaos, you could do group of death, you could just do a bit of fun. Like, Can I start with my dream Chelsea holiday group? Oh, yes, I okay, like that. Okay, fine. Dream Chelsea holiday one, but also... Then uh, I'll do a chaotic. Okay. And actually, group of I wanted to one. say, Wolfsburg being out of it is fucking oh, good for Chelsea. It's great love. for Chelsea. Enemies, <laughs> yeah. villains. Wow. You must be so wow. good lucky. Goodbye. Alfie de Zayen. That's what I say. <laughs> okay, just explain to me how it works. It's one one from each pot. pot yeah. You can't have two teams from the same country. Yeah, yeah. So you can't put Leon on PSG I together. already know that... Your one of your dream holiday destinations is Ajax because we already yeah planned our so you my mean, Chelsea you holiday. You don't want to go to Poulton? <laughs> I actually sent Poulton is second on my list. Okay, um, but I'm not. I'm gonna pick Roma uh, mm. from pot three for Mamma my Chelsea mia. holiday. But pot three is good for holidays because Roma, St. Poulton, or Benfica, I think, would all be nice yeah. destinations. Okay, so hit me with your holiday group. So okay, so Chelsea, Real Madrid. Roma and Ajax oh, would be my perfect what holiday. a lovely away actually, days. Well, it's no, a Caroline uh, Weir. Could be a tricky group though. It would be. There are definitely easier groups, but I'm not. That's not the I'm game we're there, playing. I'm there for my holidays. So Jesse's picked holidays as their theme. The What's, thing is, though, you're such a bad, not a bad. Well, you are a bit of a bad loser, of course. So. I was trying to be kind. I'm glad that you no, no, no. recognise that in yourself. Yeah. It's a dream holiday, but if Chelsea then lose when you're on that holiday, does that not just ruin the holiday? Okay, I guess at the back of my mind, I do believe Chelsea should still win a group with those teams. <laughs> okay. I do think Chelsea okay. are good enough to win that group. Okay. So your theme is holiday. Becky, pick a theme and tell us your group. So my chaos group, I'm going to go Bayern. Got one. We've got Bayern. Bayern, Real Madrid. Oh, Roma, Paris, FC. That you just, is, yeah, you just don't know what tough. to expect from any of them. I like it. I like it. I would love to see Paris FC in a group with Barcelona because I feel it's like inevitable <laughs> there'll be Barcelona home. I really away. want I so really good. want Barcelona to get at least one defeat. And they did buy and beat them last year in the groups as well, didn't they? So yeah. I'm channeling some of that energy in my group of death, which I'm going to go Barca PSG. Roma and Ajax. Yeah, I think that's that that's would be pretty, the like hardest group. Yeah, and I just as much as like Barcelona winning it kind of benefits English teams getting automatic qualification if we're going to go into that chat again. Like I just don't want people that win it, you know, cuz Barca are on the way to or well, already partway through a bit of a dynasty. So let's just knock them off their perch. Barcelona Ajax, wow. I would be there. <laughs> I would be there. The good holiday as well. I'm, yeah, well, exactly. Romy looked at. Oof, I'm just looking at, at all of these teams and I'm like, I just don't know if I can see anyone but Barca winning this. What do we reckon? Barca Chelsea final? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, mm, depends on, on. I suppose Leon. How Bayern can do. 
and Paris FC are winning the whole thing. So what are you talking about? Yeah, so true, actually. <laughs> anyway, that's enough for Champions League. We've got a few questions to get onto about England's latest squad. So England squad came out on Tuesday, Nations League games around the corner. There were a few interesting additions and omissions. Frank Kirby returns, which is exciting, but also terrifying because I feel like less is more with Frank Kirby. But I think England have in the past been good at not playing her when there's any risk of injury. But it does feel like she has to be managed so well these days that her coming back makes me a little bit nervous. But I feel like Serena Vigan might not rely on her too much in these upcoming games. So we'll see what happens. But the big headlines were really Grace Clinton comes in off the back some really good performances on loan at Spurs and a lot of people excited about that. And also Kiara Keating, Manchester City, she's been starting this season, pushed out Ellie Roebuck, pushed out Sandy McIver. And um, yeah, I think it's quite exciting to see these new faces. But the asterisk is those new faces aren't going to play. And that, I think, is what's so frustrating about a three-women squad. And we got a few questions about this on Twitter. And I suppose Gareth Southgate does this a little bit as well. Like, there's a stubbornness around international management where you bring in a squad, you blend this squad, you try new faces, and you try and work out what is the best camp and the best group. But at the end of the day when people are sort of working and building towards a major tournament, maybe less so for England, but we wait to see who might make it if they do make it to the next Olympic Games. But like, it just feels like it's really hard for anyone to actually get a good chance at playing, even when it seems like players are like desperate for rest and are basically like, please don't play me. Do you think the Nations League takes that away as well a bit? Because in friendlies, you're way more likely to give those two players a go. But in the Nations League, you're like, oh, I don't want to risk it, especially because we lost that game against Netherlands and now the qualification is in the balance. Yeah, a little bit. But I also even thought pre this, the friendlies on Serena Greenman, she was not giving people out many caps. Even when Katie Zellen was desperate for her first <laughs> cap, had like three squad appearances and like had been in multiple camps. It took her so long to get some minutes. And like Lucy Staniforth, John Nobbs, even Jess Carter at one point before she then obviously became such a big part of the starting team. Like a lot of these players weren't getting a sniff even in those like 20 nil games. <laughs> so, and I mean, those were actual qualifiers. It's like, like Beth England in that behind closed doors friendly before the World Cup <laughs> yeah, where it was, okay. it was rolling stuff. Oh and she God. didn't get a minute. But actually, she was jet lagged, Becky. Maybe thinking about now, maybe it was about her hit that she ended up had surgery. It could be. But, Jesse, what did you make of the latest squad and the introduction of Grace Clinton, who I know you rate very highly? It's nice to see the bit of a development coming through. I think it's understandable to feel frustrated when players don't get minutes in the England games but I think it's also important to remember that like those players are going away on like a week 10 days training camp as well and I feel like sometimes it's overlooked that like the players do things other than play the games that we see and I think what Wiegmann is good at is sort of showing that pathway and sort of bringing players in and out and kind of making the England set up as a whole feel quite integrated. Like, I mean, I kind of thought it was harsh on Katie Robinson based on how she's played this season, but like she's with the under 23s. But I think there's also an element of being like, okay, we've had you in England squads. We kind of know what you can do. We know you sort of know how we want to play. I want to see this other player instead. For example, Jess Parks in the squad. I don't think Jess Park's really done much this season, but like she's obviously someone that Wiegmann likes. She's been in and around squads. She obviously sort of missed out on that like little World Cup extra team because she had a shoulder injury. So I think then it makes sense to be like, okay, we want Jess Park back in the squad. We want to see what Grace Clinton looks like with these players. Equally, yeah, Kiara Keating, I'm like, it's obviously to give her sort of a taste for being in the senior setup. And I think that's a good thing. I feel like when it comes to players who I would like to see play in these Nations League games. I'm a lot less bothered about whether I see Grace Clinton or not and a lot more bothered about whether, for example, Neve Charles gets to start a left back. But I think what, like the reason why I think that Wiegmann really values those, like the actual sort of training time, Jess Carter's a perfect example of someone who didn't get loads of minutes, but as soon as she was needed to sort of step up, 
she came in. She obviously knew exactly how the team worked. She played almost every minute at the World Cup as a starting player from nowhere. And that only happens from being in all of those camps. So even though I think it is annoying and I would like to see players rotate more, I agree with Becky that the Nations League makes that so much harder. You're going to play your first choice squad because you want to qualify for the Olympics. Like you have to win both these games at this point. And if we lost these questions would be the exact opposite of like, why did she do this? Yeah, why are you, like, why are you why playing why Grace Pointer? <laughs> so to that extent, I'm like, I think there are clear areas within the England squad. Neve Charles is probably the biggest one where I'm like, based on her performances this season, based on the fact you play a striker, a left back, that for me has to be a swap. I don't know if it will happen, but that's the kind of thing I'm more concerned about as opposed to like debutantes. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. I don't think I'd ever really thought about it in like a, this is a development tool for these players and it's not all about minutes god you're so smart Jesse. <laughs> but what is I mean I think when you look at this squad though and a few people have asked this question around specific positions whether it's Lucy Bronze or Mary Earps but I think there is a bit of a fear around succession planning and it's a bit of a a block that uh, that the USA ran into especially in Tokyo and I, f- I fear that about England a little bit about that succession planning and blooding players early enough so that there isn't that gap. And obviously that it's deliberate with the way that Jess Park and Grace Clinton and Kira Keating are being brought in now. But when you look at the strength in the under-23s, it's like, do is there enough succession planning? Because speaking as a 30-year-old, a lot of these players <laughs> are, you know, not getting any younger. And you worry about like, especially right back, who are the natural players to slot into those positions that you trust. We've obviously got big players coming back. Beth Mead at, at you know, some point will be ready for an England camp as much as Serena Veeman straight away was like, she's not ready. Leah Williamson coming back at some point. So there's that sort of future, but that like, where are the young players who are going to come up and take those positions. That makes me a little bit nervous when I look at the age of these squad and the minutes that some of the younger players are getting because it's all well and good you sort of like getting someone prepared within the camp who's played a lot of WSL senior football and is obviously a very good player like Jess Carter and has been working with a coach who's given her a better understanding of the game and versatility and positions. But there's another thing, being quite young, playing a lot of minutes, but sometimes not getting very much like Jess Park now back in Manchester City and it's like then if you want to throw them in as part of the replacement it's like they haven't necessarily had that experience to feel comfortable but it's like a you know it's a catch-22 because they need that moment to be able to feel feel comfortable I mean the problem at right back I don't think is really a Serena Wiegmann problem I think that's an England problem like which if you're not playing Lucy Bronze which player are you playing at right back like who? Who is that younger I know, player? I don't necessarily think it's Serena Vigman. I just think the succession planning is quite no, but scary. Like, but there, there is no succession to plan because England just haven't, for whatever reason, and this happens sometimes with countries. Like it's just a bit random. There's not a player there. Like obviously, Vigman said she sees Leticia as that option. I don't think that's really realistic. Carter can obviously play there. Charles can play there. But I think both of them, you'd say Carter's best position is centre back now. Charles's best position is left back now. Neve Charles is only a fullback because Emma Hayes converted her from being a winger. So that's not even like England are just a bit short on. But then I also look at like when soon as uh, Kira Walsh gets injured, everyone's you you start to panic a little bit as well. It's like England's starting lineup if everyone's fit is really strong. And then you can look at that sort of like rotation in the front line and think we've got that. Maybe there's a bit more depth there. But I do think across the board. But isn't that a question about youth? development yeah it's a question for, it's not just a serene booming issue it's around and that's why I brought up the under 23s it's like when you look at the under 23s it's hard to see those natural replacements it is a bit of a gap now that I don't know like how long does it take before you sort of reset and you think because it, 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 some of the under 23s players are playing in WSL not necessarily good enough to make that step up some of them aren't really getting that many minutes at, uh, at senior football you know like Aggie Beaver Jones is now in Chelsea score but it's going to be a cup rotation or a sub do you know what I mean so it's like how do you get them to the place where they're going to be part of a natural succession plan because that is where I'm struggling to see those like replacements to create a natural kind of conveyor belt and so that England don't get them to the situation that the USA did where it was like the Euros and World Cup final group like that's it and it's like how do you continue that success and that level and have the squad 
And now we circle back to should the WSL be bigger? Because <laughs> then they would... Then they have more games. Have more teams and now that let's have go more. back to should the Champions League be And we'll be right where we started <laughs> and the start oh, And we go again. to that. But I will say, I think, for example, though, in areas where England have had depth, they've done that really well. There was a year between the Euros and the World Cup and there were a number of players who didn't play big roles in the Euros or weren't starters in the Euros. Carter, Russo, Lauren James, who wasn't even in the squad, who went on to have absolutely massive roles in the World Cup. I think the difference is, is those are areas where England have talent depth. The problem comes with players like Kira Walsh is also just a bit of a one in a million player. Like I can point to play, like you can look at, for example, Ruby Mace, but she's a totally different kind of player to Kira Walsh. But I think Walsh, midfield so. in general I think for England right now look because like Kay Zellum keeps coming in but I don't think she's been well, good that's enough why, But that's those. why you then bring someone like Grace Clinton yeah, in, who yeah. I guess plays more like a 10 but you've also got players like Laura Blinkilder Brown who obviously plays has played a lot of minutes for Aston Villa has kind of benefited from Kenza Darley being unavailable at the moment and that's why that England have tried to like really bring back that under 23 system right because there are a ton of players in those camps where you're like yeah and and that's what's interesting about you know sort of Katie Robinson dropping down to it because it's like okay you are part of a whole system rather than just being like you're either in the England squad or you're not playing any sort of international minutes at all because you're over 18 whereas like sort of traditionally that like after that under 19 thing you don't it's not always been a big thing to have a big under 23 squad. And I think it is really interesting the way sort of England are working to develop that. But yeah, I think there are two sort of separate issues. There's one being like, how do you bring players through? And there's another being like, what do you do if they're just simply aren't obvious players <laughs> who are ready to make the step up? And that's, you know, when you're looking at midfield, when you're looking at fullback, they're the areas where I'm like, yeah, I just don't think the players are there right now. And who knows also, because you look at someone like Lauren James and sometimes like, okay, everyone knew Lauren James was very talented for a long time, but sometimes players come out of nowhere and sometimes like development curves for a young player go bonkers. Things can change very, very quickly. If you'd told me two years ago that I would sit here on a podcast and say like, Neve Charles must start at left back for England, I'd be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? So like things (laughs) can change based on what clubs need, based on what nations need, but yeah, like right now, I just don't think there's really obvious players who are English who really deserve to be in those kind of positions. And also it, that creates that same question around sometimes players have that role and that understanding at club level, but it's really it's, it's not always as easy to apply that at international level with the, with the national team when the variables aren't the same, whether who they're playing for, who the coach is, do you know what I mean? So say with Neve Charles, like she's excelling in that position with Chelsea and feels like that natural option. But there, there is no guarantee that the same scenario can apply to England. Although it presumably does help that England's defence might be Jess Carter and Millie Bright, which is mm-hmm. just Chelsea's defence. Yeah, and then what happens to Alex Greenwood as well? Because, you know, she's like, is she going to play three back? Is she going to be four at the back? It's, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But England have two games, Friday 27th, Tuesday 31st, both against Belgium. And we'll be chatting about those, obviously, on Counterpressed. We'll be back on Monday to talk about the WSL from this weekend. But for now, digest the Champions League chat, stay away from the bed bugs, and we'll see you all next week. <laughs>